Welcome to the Holmesville Church of the Brethren. This is the worship service for September 24th, 2023. As I record this, you can hear the sounds of heavy machinery outside my windows. It is harvest time here, and trucks and combines are being moved around outside, and I hope that that is a symphony to you, as it is to so many who live here on the plains. Let's join in our call to worship. In the midst of a desert land, God heard his people. God hears our cries for justice. In a time of genocide, God raised up heroes. God acknowledges our longing for the right. God calls on ordinary people, people like us, to do God's will. Let us answer God's call. Let goods and kindred 
God, your victory is sure, but the battle is still raging. Help us to know that our only peace comes from you. We seek your shelter. Amen. Let us pray. God of our minds, God of our hearts, God of our bodies and our souls, we offer you all that we are and all that we aren't. We offer you our fears and frustrations, our hopes and our dreams. We offer these knowing that they will be changed, 
knowing that we will be transformed by your love. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. This is the second installment of our new series, Faces of Our Faith. This week we are visiting our spiritual ancestors, Shifra and Pua. Exodus 1, 6-21 Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and, in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Faces of our faith, Shifra and Puah. It was a time of slavery. It was a time of genocide. It was a time when love, friendship, and mercy took a back seat to hatred, fear, and death. Pharaoh did not remember his own nation's history, how the Hebrew Joseph had saved the Egyptian people through his interpretation of dreams and his wisdom in management. No, this Pharaoh saw the Hebrews as a threat. They had grown in number, threatening to overtake the Egyptians in population. So this Pharaoh, out of fear, despising the other, made the Hebrews into slaves. When that did not completely solve the problem of the Hebrews' supposed strength, Pharaoh embarked on a systematic genocide. Pharaoh called on two midwives, Shifra and Puah. For a large population of Hebrews, one would suspect that these were not the only midwives for the Hebrew people. Perhaps they were the highest ranking, supervising others. 
Perhaps they were well-respected, and he expected others to follow their example. Whatever the situation, Pharaoh called these two particular midwives, and he ordered them to kill every baby boy they delivered. Perhaps he wanted them to smother or strangle each baby boy and then tell the mothers that their babies were stillborn. That would be the sneaky way to take care of this. That would cause the least amount of trouble. If Shifra and Pua were Hebrews themselves, Pharaoh was taking quite a chance. How could Pharaoh know these midwives would do as he commanded? How could he know they would keep their mouths shut about his plan? Did he count on his own power? Or did he rely on these women's fear of them, that they would not dare to disobey him? Surely he would not hesitate to kill those who dared to disobey. A midwife at the time was a low-status woman. She was probably a woman without family herself. She would be a woman without protection. What would she have to lose by obeying Pharaoh's orders? What would she have to gain? Some Bible scholars have even suggested that the midwives were Egyptian themselves. That complicates the matter even more. We can see why Hebrew midwives would shelter Hebrew children, the offspring of their friends and relatives, but we would not expect Egyptians to shelter Hebrew slaves in the same way. But these midwives from the text appear to serve both Egyptian and Hebrew mothers. Look at what they tell Pharaoh. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Perhaps Shifra and Pua were midwives to both groups. Regardless of whether the midwives were Hebrew or Egyptian, they quietly refused to follow Pharaoh's commands. They let the Hebrew babies live. And they went back to Pharaoh with an elaborate tale to justify the fact that those babies had not been killed as he had commanded. These women, if Hebrew, were pioneers in civil disobedience and heroes to their own people. If Egyptian, they were some of the first righteous among the nations. Civil disobedience has a long history, even in the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego practiced civil disobedience, and they were thrown in the fiery furnace for their troubles. Queen Esther practiced civil disobedience when she went before the king without being invited. Jesus practiced civil disobedience when he healed a man's shriveled hand, healed a hemorrhaging woman, and plucked and ate wheat from a field, all of which were done on a Sabbath when it was unlawful to do any kind of work. And Peter and John practiced civil disobedience when they were arrested for preaching about Jesus and were told to stop. They answered the rulers, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
Later, those same rulers confronted the apostles again and reminded them of their command to not teach about Jesus, to which they replied, We must obey God rather than men. That is the same spirit shown by Shifra and Pua. They knew what was right to do, and they did it, at great personal risk. Regardless of the power of the Pharaoh, they respected God more. They stood up for what was right, and God used them to help save their people. God has equipped each of us with a conscience. God expects us to use that conscience in order to follow God's ways. There are times, rare times, hopefully, when believers are justified in civil disobedience. Here are some examples. When a government's laws are in direct conflict or violation of God's laws and commands. When a government promotes or practices evil, for example, genocide. When a government prohibits the worship and proclamation of God and his gospel. According to the late theologian John Stott, we are to submit right up to the point where obedience to the state would entail disobedience to God. But if the state commands what God forbids, or forbids what God commands, then our plain Christian duty is to resist, not to submit, to disobey the state in order to obey God. This is the strict meaning of civil disobedience, namely disobeying a particular human law because it is contrary to God's law. Whenever laws are enacted which contradict God's law, civil disobedience becomes a Christian duty. On September 10th of this year, just a few weeks ago, the Vatican beatified a Polish family of nine, a married couple and their small children, who were executed by the Nazis during the Second World War for sheltering Jews. Last year, Pope Francis pronounced the strictly Catholic Oma family, including Victoria Oma's unborn child, Martyrs of the Faith. The Omas were killed at their home by German Nazi troops and by Nazi-controlled local police in the small hours of March 24, 1944, together with the eight Jews they were hiding at their home after they were apparently betrayed. Josef Olma, 44, was a farmer, Catholic activist, and amateur photographer who documented family and village life. He lived with Victoria, 31, and their daughters Stanislawa, 7, Barbara, 6, Maria, 18 months, and sons Vyadislaw, 5, Franciszek, three, and Antony, two. Killed with them were 70-year-old Saul Goldman and his sons Baruch, Mechel, Joachim, and Moses, along with Golda Grunfeld and her sister Leah Didner, with her young daughter, Russia. 
Israel's Yad Vashem Institute in 1995 recognized the Olmas as righteous among nations who gave their lives trying to save Jews during the Holocaust. They joined the ranks of the many, many non-Jewish people who risked everything to do the right thing during a time of genocide. Brothers and sisters, we never know when we will be called upon to stand up for the right. We never know when we may be called to risk everything to obey God rather than man. May we never find it necessary to excuse ourselves that we were only following orders. May God find us faithful like Shifra, like Pua, like so many others of our ancestors in the faith. May God indeed find us faithful. Amen. Let us pray. O God, give us the courage to stand up for the right. Help us, like so many before us, to obey God rather than man. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the God of our ancestors give you courage and wisdom. May the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, guide your journey. May the work of the Holy Spirit renew your hope. Amen.